All right, that being said, I hope that all of you are in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And as we started 14 weeks ago, we looked at the love of God in a series entitled For the Love of God. And as we've been working through this series, as I've stated many single uh, times over the course of this series, the love of God is a transformational love that will take an individual and radically change that person into the image of Jesus Christ. The love of God is something that is so unique that once encountered by an individual, it cannot be denied. And as we look at the love of God in our own personal lives, we cannot simply look at it theoretically or academically or even simply theologically. It's something that must be experienced by us as individuals to understand completely and to appreciate immensely. Last time together, we looked at the fact that we could never be separated from the love of God. That is a certainty that you and I can be certain of. But I was surprised to discover as a young man, and as I have stated from the very beginning of this series, not only is this series talking on the love of God in the life of the believer, but more specifically talking about the love of God in my personal life. And I was surprised to discover, though nothing can ever separate me from the love of God. Say that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Come on, guys. Say it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I was so surprised to find out that no, nothing can separate me from the love of God. It is possible for me to abandon the love of God. And it took me back. It caused me to reconsider and to uh, really think things through once again. How is it possible that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God and yet it is possible for me to abandon, for me to leave the love of God? How is that possible? And then when I discovered that it was addressed to a church in the book of Revelation chapter 2, and this church was only 25 years from its conception, I discovered that it doesn't take long for such an event to take place. That the love of God may be abandoned by an individual who's experienced the love of God. And Jesus was so grieved over this fact that even though the church in Ephesus was doing all the right things, they had left their first love. The word left there can be better translated in the English, abandoned their first love. And as a result, Jesus Christ says, though you have all of these things going for you, all of these great things happening for you, if you don't get this one right, if you don't remember where you have lost it, if you don't repent and return to me and begin to repeat those first works over again, I'm going to come and take the candle, the lampstand from your mist, the spirit from your mist. This is serious. They had everything going for them that you would want in a healthy church. And yet God said, I have this one thing against you. And it is significant. As we come to the second chapter of the book of Revelation, 
we discover that the book of Revelation is written to seven churches. John the Apostle on the island of Patmos is writing to seven churches that Jesus Christ has prescribed to be written to. And as a result, the first of these seven is the church of Ephesus, first birthed by Paul in Acts 19 and 20, written to by Paul in the letter of Ephesians, and now corrected by the time Revelation has been written, 95 A.D. And as we learn here to leave or to abandon our love for God and our love for one another is so significant to the Lord that even if you have all these other things going for you, He has rebuked us for the omission of this one. I remember a story of a man and a woman getting ready for church one Sunday morning. And as the wife prepared herself, she noticed that by the time she had finished all of her preparations and was walking out the door with her Bible and her purse, she noticed that her husband wasn't ready at all and hadn't made any progress in the forward motion of getting ready to go to church. And she looked at him and said, what are you doing? Why aren't you ready for church? And she said, well, I'll give you three reasons. Number one, the congregation is cold. And I just don't want to be around cold people anymore. Number two, honey, no one likes me there. There's something missing amongst the congregation. No one likes me there. And three, I just don't want to go. So she looked at him. She said, oh, really? Well, honey, let let me remind you of the truth. First of all, number one, the congregation is warm. And number two, honey, there are a few people there who do like you. And number three, honey, you're the pastor, so get your clothes on and let's go. (laughs) But I tell you, there are times when you will enter a church and you will sense that there is something wrong. There's something off. Oh, and maybe a doctrinal issue and maybe a a, a manner of practice, how they conduct themselves. But if everything seems to be uh, up and upright before the Lord, their doctrine, their, their practice, they worship the Lord and they honor Him with the worship, He is put first in all things. And yet there still seems to be something off about that church. It may be the fact that the church has left their first love. The love that they had for Jesus that motivated them to begin the church in the first place has dissipated. The love that they had for one another that was so powerful in the beginning has waned and begun to cool. And though they are going through all the motions of being a church, and they have all the programs within the church, and they are careful on their doctrinal positions. They want and desire to remain biblical in all of them. And not only their orthodox, but their orthopraxy, how they practice their Christian faith is important to them. But yet when you lose the love that first motivated you to start it all, it is something that is significantly missing 
from the essence of the congregation and of the church. The church of Ephesus, if you will look with me in your Bibles, starting in verse 2, Jesus says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. He's saying, I know what you do. I know the labor in which you labor within. I know that you patiently endure under the weight of persecution. And how you cannot bear those who are evil, specifically the evil of those who are false apostles. Look at what he says. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These are good things to find within a church. The church desired to remain pure in their doctrinal positions. The church desired to remain pure in the manner in which they conducted themselves practically. When teachers came through, they would test the teachers to see if the teaching of those teachers who claimed to be apostles was actually uh, according to Scripture or were they false teachers. And Jesus commends them for all of this. In every way, it appeared to be a very healthy church in so many different dynamics. When Paul established the church in Acts 19, when he first came to Ephesus and started preaching the gospel, there was an economic upheaval that took place there in Ephesus. So many people were getting saved that the individual silversmith within the city of Ephesus was losing money And all who were in that same trade were losing money because the silversmiths of that area uh, made little idol gods to Artemis, the, the female deity of Ephesus. And when people started getting saved, they had no need for these little idols any longer. And the gospel absolutely wrecked the economy of Ephesus. Nobody was buying idols anymore. And so the idol makers brought Paul before the judicial leadership there in Ephesus and wanted him charged for the chaos that he has created through the preaching of the gospel. And yet he was found and he was let loose to continue on his ministry. Sometime later, he revisits the elders of Ephesus, the individuals who were responsible for the church after he left, He then sends Timothy to Ephesus to lead the church as a pastor. First and second Timothy were written while Timothy was pastoring the church there in Ephesus. And as a result, the church began to grow and it was dynamic before the Lord. However, though, as they were going through the motions of the church, something began to dissipate. Now, Paul made it abundantly clear Paul made it abundantly clear that you are to watch out because after I leave in Acts 20, he said, individuals are going to come in like sheep in, I'm sorry, wolves in sheep's clothing. He says, be prepared. And we can see that even up until the time that the uh, church was addressed by John in the book of Revelation, they were being careful to test those who called themselves teachers. 
Paul prepared them for that. And you can read it there in Acts chapter 20. When you come to the letter to the church of Ephesus, if you'll turn to Ephesians with me, to Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 14. He, say, he states, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that is, I pray, from whom every family in heaven and on earth are, is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God." He even encourages them to keep the first thing first. That is their love for God and their love for one another. From the very beginning of this series, we've stated that Jesus' intent for you and I as Christians is to have a loving relationship with the Father through Him. For the commandments in which He has given us that I believe encapsulates all of Christianity is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love thy neighbor as thyself. This is the heart of Christianity. It is the heart of the gospel. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whomsoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so when Paul writes Ephesus... He reminds them, keep the love of God in you growing and flowing. Allow that love to not only manifest itself between you and the Lord, but allow it to manifest itself between you and another. And notice, he says this is what it looks like to strengthen yourself in the Spirit of God. For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. And as a result, those who walk in the Spirit will walk in that love, opposed to those who will walk in the flesh and therefore uh, contradict that love. And as we come here, even though they are doing everything that they are instructed to do, they have left their first love. Notice this with me in verse 4 of chapter 2 of Revelation. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. The word abandoned there means exactly what it states. That at some point, the church either purposely or they inevitably left or abandoned the love that they had at first or as it is written in the King James, New King James, their first love. The reason for all that they are doing, the reason, the motivation behind all that they are doing for the Lord, they had left it behind. Now, did they do it purposely at one moment in time? Or did it gradually take place? Did it happen as time went on and they became more busy in life? And now they're just going through the motions of life apart from that love. 
And though it's not apparent even to them, it doesn't appear to be apparent even to them, Jesus looks at the heart of the situation and says, yes, you have all of this going for you, but you have left your first love. The mandate of your heart is no longer to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. As Paul addressed the church in Corinth, he said, you have all of these spiritual gifts, but even if I have all faith and I have all knowledge and I can do all things and I have all wisdom, if I do not have love, I am nothing, he says. And he says the three that pillars that hold up the entire Christian faith, faith, hope, and love, none is greater than love itself. And unbeknownst to them, at some point and at some place, they had abandoned their first love. This is only 25 years after the church had been placed there in Ephesus, based on the biblical timeline that is given to us in the Word of God. By the time of the writing of the book of Acts, you're looking at a 30-year period of time between 33 A.D. and roughly 60-something A.D. And in that 30-year period of time, many of the books of the New Testament were written, including the book of Ephesians. And in that 30-year period of time, the church of Ephesus was planted. Now we come to 95 A.D. is when the book of Revelation was written, And by this time, they had already abandoned their first love. It only was 25, 30 years at the most. We're not talking about two, three hundred years or a thousand years. We're talking about 25 years. And when I read that initially as a young believer in Jesus Christ, I became very concerned that it was possible for one to abandon their first love to go through the motions of Christianity apart from that love. As a pastor, I'm concerned because as we now are approaching our 22nd year, are we still operating in that same love and passion that initially started us down this direction? That it moved us to heed the call of God upon us as you as an individual believer in Jesus Christ, if you have walked with the Lord 10, 15, 20 years, do you find yourself now going through the motions but something seems to be missing? Do you still have that passionate love for Jesus that you did when you were a new believer in Jesus Christ? Now trust me, when I first came to Jesus Christ, I had nothing but love for him. Literally, I had nothing but love for him. Wisdom did not come until many years later. I had a ton of zeal for Jesus, but I didn't have a lot of wisdom to temper that zeal. But as time went on, and I grew in wisdom, the first concern that I had was that as my wisdom seemed to increase, my zeal seemed to decrease, and I didn't think that's what the Lord wanted from me. Now that I'm growing in the wisdom of the Lord, I should be just as zealous for the Lord as I was when I was first a believer. But showing it more Christ-like rather than 
new believer Eric like? But then what about my love for Jesus? As I am now 32 years in the Lord, I ask myself, do I love Jesus the same way that I did when I first came to Jesus? That love motivating me and moving me to tell anybody and everybody about Jesus Christ who would listen. And even those who wouldn't listen, I still would keep their ear. But my passion for Jesus manifesting in itself this tenderness towards Christ, this warmth of feeling as I'm entering into his word before him each and every day in my personal devotional time, thinking that it is Jesus who is speaking to me through his word. Having a sensitivity towards Christ and his spirit, a fervor and a spark and a motivation that could not be tampered by anything because of my love for him. When it came to fellowshipping with the saints, I couldn't get enough fellowship when I was a first believer in Jesus Christ. I went to everything the church had to offer, including the women's ministry stuff. I just couldn't get enough of it. Because I wanted to be with my brothers and sisters. I wanted to be with those who share that same like-mindedness towards my Heavenly Father and towards my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When it came to reading the Word and prayer, it wasn't a chore or something that I had to just do in and day in and day out. It was something I wanted to do. I'm spending time with Jesus. My mom and dad would often on Friday nights after I got saved, I'd go to my room after coming home from work and I would just start reading and I would start praying. And they would hear quiet. And you know, for me to stay in on a Friday night, I was either sick at that time or something had really happened. I was under house arrest or something. But then when I voluntarily went in there and I remember my mom and dad would be peeking into my room I could hear the door creak open. Is he okay, Ken? Is he doing drugs again? What's he doing? He's kneeling next to the side of his bed with his Bible open, praying. I couldn't get enough of Jesus. I wanted more and more and more of him. I couldn't wait to come home from work. I couldn't wait to get home from school to spend time with Jesus in the Word. But apparently, as time goes on, and that love diminishes and begins to falter, those passions begin to dissipate. Thinking of when those times were that I just had this conscious awareness that Christ was always with me. Wherever I went, wherever I would travel to, he was always with me. And I was never alone. Just this passion for Jesus. But Jesus said to them in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. One wrote, he said, the glowing enthusiasm of the early days had disappeared. The Christians could look back to better days when their bridal love for Christ flowed warm, full, and free. There were still sound in doctrine and in activity and in service. 
but the true motive of all worship and all service was missing. As he went on to write, John Wolvert, he said, how the church today needs to heed this same warning because orthodoxy and service are not enough. Christ wants believers' hearts as well as their hands and their heads. Is it possible that we have come to this place where we are going through the motions but we have left our first love? Is it possible that as the years have gone on and the weights and the responsibilities and the cares of this world have tried to reshape and reform our love for God? Has the wisdom of this world told us that to be that radically and passionately in love with God is silliness? For you're an adult now. You need to be responsible with money and mortgages and your marriage and your family. You need to be aware of your personal responsibilities and your career and so forth. To have that kind of frivolous, foolish love is irresponsible at someone at your age. And I say to you this morning, that is absolutely a lie from the devil himself. As my wife and I were talking about this before we could even come to the congregation and even consider this, we looked at each other and say, do we still have that first love? Now, I'm not saying that your love for the Lord won't change and mature and develop over time. Like my love for Dina has matured over the last 25 years. And I love her more today than I did when I first met her. I don't know if she can say the same about me. I hope so. But the point is, is that yes, love does mature. Love does grow. Love does take on a different form. And yes, it does surpass the, maybe those immature states of just feeling giddy and zealous and so forth to something more real and tangible. But that is not what took place here in our text. They had abandoned their first love. It wasn't an an understanding that their love had matured. It was an understanding that they had left it behind. And so the question is, have you left it behind? Have you abandoned it? Have the cares of this world suppressed it? Have the responsibilities of the older age drowned it out? You may say, then how can I get it back? How can I go back to those days? How can I have those days again? Well, Jesus gives us the answer here in our text, starting in verse 5. And we begin by remembering, therefore, where you have fallen. This is the beginning of the return process. It starts with remembering. I think of the prodigal son in Luke, where he was off and he had squandered all of the funds in which he had taken from his father. And after squandering everything that he had, he found himself in one of the lowest positions that a Jewish young man could find himself, feeding the swine of others. And then he remembered 
how much better he had it at his father's home. And that remembering then led him to get up and to walk back home, willing to subject himself even as a simple servant within his father's household, knowing that they had it better than he did. The first thing that God would ask you to do this morning is remember. Was there an event that took place in your Christian life that caused you to abandon that love, that first love that you had for God? Did someone say something to you? Did the cares of this world overwhelm you at one point? Is it something that diminished over a period of time? Has something occurred that would cause you now to question the love that God has for you and therefore diminish the love that you have for God and that you have for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Ask God to help you remember when that moment was. Because after remembering where that, when that moment was, notice what he says next. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Remember that moment that you turned from what God had. I think of King David. King David, a man after God's own heart. A true warrior, a true king. But at the end of his life, he was also remembered for being an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. Well, how did all that come about? How did all of that start? How did he go from this man after God's own heart to a man that now is remembered also as an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer? It's because he left his first love. That moment that he decided no longer to continue leading the charge in the battle against Israel's enemy, but stood behind. And while he stood behind and while he waited behind the front lines and he waited in his palace for news of the victory, he was then stumbled as he caught a glimpse of a woman who was bathing. And instead of turning and running at that moment, he turned back for a second look that led him then to covet her, to lust after her, and then therefore sin with her. And after sinning with her, he then took her husband and put him on the front line of the battle so he would die. And then he lied about it as Nathan approached him. And it all started because he left his first love. His passion for God, God wanted him on the front line. He wanted to stay behind. And as a result, he fell behind. Because once we remember that time and that place, then we must repent. Notice with me here in verse 5. He says very clearly, Remember where you have fallen and repent. This isn't simply an emotional, remorseful response. It means to turn from those things and to turn back to God. To turn back to God. Fall in love with God once again. And how do you do that? Well, by repeating, as he says here, by to repent and do the works that you did at first. And if not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember those moments when you first became a believer and all you wanted to do was be in the Word of God. 
now that you've remembered where you have left that love. Now you remember when you abandoned that love. And now that you've repented and turned back to God, now start doing those things that you did at the beginning. Spending time in His Word. Spending time with Him in prayer. Remember the joy of getting together with other Christians. Don't avoid fellowship, but get involved in fellowship. Remember how excited you were about telling others about Jesus. And start doing those things again. But notice what Jesus does not tell them to do. He, does not, he doesn't tell them, quit everything that you are doing and go back and do these things. No, he says, do these things that you're currently doing, but now go back to the love that you had for me and for others. Because he wanted to fulfill the ministry that he started there through the church of Ephesus. He wanted to continue working. He wasn't asking them to take a sabbatical or take time off. He was saying, come back to me. Because the love that you have will govern the orthodoxy that you practice. One of my favorite pastors said this, Warren Worsby. Please write this down somewhere. When I go to YouTube, and I don't know why I punish myself that way, but I'll be looking up on a subject, and of course, the bastion of the number of different opinions that you find on YouTube is overwhelming. But there are so many critical Christians out there today, it's, uh, it's astonishing to me. And as a result, the love of God is completely lost. And they all feel that they are the one prophet of God that God has called to raise up to correct everybody else. And I'm all for fighting for the truth. I'm all for standing up in the face of falsehood. I am all for calling out that which is an error. However, though, if I do so without love, that can be very problematic. So my pastor, Warren Worsby, wrote this. Truth without love is simply brutality, but love without truth is simple hypocrisy. Write that in your Bible somewhere. I trust you will consult it at one time or another. Truth without love is simple brutality. But love without truth is simply hypocrisy. You need the balance of both. You need to understand that it's the love that governs the practice of the truth, the administration of the truth, the furtherance of the truth. But as Paul was concerned about the individual believer and their faithfulness to God. He says this in 2 Corinthians eleven two 2 and 3. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, he writes, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It is absolutely amazing to me how many people fall into this trap. Like the church in Ephesus, they were so centered on truth. They were so centered on orthodoxy that they completely lost the idea of love and humility. 
let me repeat that to leave your first love is, is not in and of itself the most radical of sins, but it is certainly the root of most of sins. Well, how do I know that I'm walking in love and keeping my first love? You might want to jot these down and we'll close with this. Number one, if you really love the Lord this morning, you will long for personal communion with Him. Number one, if you really love the Lord this morning, you will long for that personal communion with Him. You will desire to spend time with Him each and every day. Quality time, time of prayer, time of the Word. If you truly love Him, you're going to want to spend time with Him. When I'm working at home from my home office and Dina's out and she's at her job, either at the school or at the salon, as I sit next to my window, I'll often look out and say, is she home yet? Can't wait for her to get home yet. I can't wait to share with her what I just learned. Is she home yet? I'm getting hungry. She needs to make me a sandwich. Is she home yet? No. I just can't get enough of being with her. It should be the same for God. Number two, a person who loves the Lord will in turn love the things that he loves. If you say that you truly love the Lord, then you're going to love what he loves. And he loves people. People matter to God. And then on the flip side, number three, if you really love the Lord, then you're going to hate what God hates. Yes, there is a place for hatred in the believer's life. Notice what the psalmist writes. He says in Psalm 97.10, you will love the Lord and hate evil. He protects the lives of his godly people and rescues them from the power of the wicked. As God hates evil, so should we. Though God loves the person, we should, again, divorce that person from the evil that that person might commit. We said it this way, you know, hate sin, love the sinner. And number four, if you really love the Lord, you will long for the return of Jesus Christ. Do you long for his return this morning? Do you look forward to it? Notice what Paul wrote. He said to Timothy, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Number four, if you are truly in love with the Lord, you are going to love and long for his return. And number five, if you are truly living in the first love that you have for God, if you love the Lord, you will keep his commandments. If you love the Lord, you will keep those things in which he has instructed us to, to do. For whoever has my commandments, Jesus says, and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now those are all the facts. That's an exposition of the text in which we just read. That's our study for this morning. But now I want you to ask yourself some questions. 
Number one, are you still walking in that love for the Lord that you once walked within? You've got to answer that question. If you do not answer that question today, everything we've done for the last 14 weeks is in vain. Because if you are not allowing yourself to continue in the love of God, then you have left your first love. Number two, what has gotten in between you and the Lord? What has gotten in between that zealous, loving relationship that you and him once had? And whatever it is, you need to put it in its proper place before the Lord today. Number three, may I remind you of how much he loves you, that he sent his only begotten son for you, and that Jesus went through everything that he went through because he loves you. He suffered in the manner in which he suffered because he loves you. He died in the manner in which he died because he loved you. He was rejected in the manner in which he was rejected because he loves you. The reason I remind you of this today is because we love him because he first loved us. And he demonstrated that love for us in John 3.16. That is the crown jewel of the love of God. That's where we began 14 weeks ago, and that's where we end today. Do you need to be reminded of that fact? And if I may confess something to you openly, I have found myself over the 32-year period of time in places where I have left my first love. And I needed to remember where I did. I needed to repent. And I needed to practice those things once again. I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself also. I can't do what God has asked me to do if I don't have that love for him that he wants me to have for him. And neither can you. I'm going to ask that we just bow our heads now and close in prayer. And I'm going to ask that we pray together and ask the Lord to show us if we have left our first love. And then to remind us and remember where we have to repent and then return to Him.